1: Look what
2: David says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. David says this, I want to know your word because when the alarm sounds, I won't disobey it. I won't disobey it. Now what's the problem? You see, knowing the word is huge. Having your Your conscience, know what the Word of God says, is huge, but it's only half the situation. We have to obey the conscience that's put in us.
0: In today's message, Pastor Mark reminds us of the first three healthy spiritual indicators. We must be personally involved with our church family. Then we must live a life that is full of compassion and generosity. And when we're doing the first two indicators, we will be loving, and loving in action, not just words. Sometimes it's hard to practice this kind of love, but we must be intentional about it. You can start with a simple prayer, asking God to bring someone into your life who has a need. This doesn't come overnight, but it can become a quality in our lives when we seek to make it one. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the book of 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, with our continuing study entitled, Spiritually Healthy Indicators.
2: Oh, Many years ago, the government started a fund. Let me read to you. It's called the Conscience Fund, our government, because... Someone in 1811 sent some money in, five bucks back then, and said they cheated on their taxes. Since that time, that conscience fund, there's been $3.5 million given to the conscience fund from people who, well, they should have paid this and their conscience bothered them, so they sent it in to the government. Now, let me read you a letter. You'll be surprised at this one. Dear Internal Revenue Service, I've not been able to sleep at night because I cheated on last year's income tax. In close, find a cashier's check for $1,000. If I can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. (laughs) What's up with that? (laughs) Well, we're going to talk about our conscience this morning. Here's something that we learned last week. We begin this passage in John, First John, where you're at. And we began to look at the spiritual healthy indicators. In other words, Jesus is kind of drawing our blood. We're getting a, a lab test and we're looking at the results. And we begin to give you these indicators. We want to be healthy in our lives. But today I want you to focus on one that John brings up. We want to discover that our spiritual health... Our spiritual health is directly connected to our emotional well-being. How we're doing emotionally makes a huge part of our spiritual wellness. Now here's a picture of something that we all understand. Here's a person who's guilty. We've all been there. We know what it's like. It's like a weight. It it affects everything we do, physically, emotionally, spiritually, every single thing. And let me just make this statement to you. If I have a guilty conscience, there is no way for me to be spiritually healthy because it will affect me everywhere. Now, we're going to talk about our conscience today and how we can make sure that we don't have guilt. Before I do, I want to just quickly give you the three indicators we talked about last week. Let's turn to First John in your Bibles, all of our campuses, chapter 3, verse 16. John writes it like this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives, watch this, for our brothers, for our fellow brothers and sisters in our churches. So healthy indicator number one last week is this. If I'm going to be healthy spiritual, I have to be personally involved with our church family. Not indifferent. You, you can't just come on Sunday. You just can't come on Wednesday. And you're never interacting with people. You see, there's no way I can lay my life down for my brother. I don't even know who my brother is. I don't even know what their needs are, you'll see. Look at verse 17. Now, if anyone has material possessions, stuff, and sees his brother, another family member of the church in need, but has no pity on him, has no compassion on him, how can the love of God be in him? Here's healthy indicator number two. We learn that we have to be compassionate and generous to other people. As I'm challenged in the verse 16 to lay my life down, how do I lay my life down for you? How do you lay your life down for me? Well, most of us aren't going to be martyred. Some are. But I lay my life down by giving of myself. My time, my resources, my money, and my talents. And we learned last week, we were challenged last week, that this is hard for us. God is a giver. Humans are takers. I don't want to lay my life down for you. I want to focus on me. Where did that taker DNA come from? Here's a verse you all know well on all of our campuses. Here's how you became a taker. Look at it, John ten ten. See it? The thief, Satan comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. What's Satan's goal for your life? To take from you anything that's good. Steal, kill, and destroy. Now look at the rest of this. But God is a generous God, I said. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. So here I have Satan. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. God wants to give me life. Now... When I was born, when you were born, every person that's born is born into the family of Satan. So you're born and I'm born with Satan's DNA. That makes me a taker, not a giver. I have to overcome that and the way I do that is become a believer. And then the DNA of God, which is a giver, becomes part of my DNA. Now, when you came to Christ, You came because Jesus came and gave us gifts. I want you to write these three gifts down this morning at all of our campuses. Would you just take your pen out and write it down? Here we go. Christ's followers received God's gift of love, his gift of salvation. You can't earn your salvation. It's a gift. And his gift of eternal life. All of those came because God's a giver. When I accept Christ, That becomes part of my life. And I not only get peace with God, because my sins are forgiven, but I get the peace of God. I don't just get life. I get abundant life to its full with purpose and meaning. So a personal relationship with Jesus Christ puts me on the path to be spiritually healthy. Now last week I did something, because it was in our passage... As I'm growing to be more like Jesus, I'm not just going to be a giver. We discovered last week that God's a generous giver. He just pours it and pours it and pours it on. So I challenge all of us to be generous of our time and our money and our resources and our abilities. Not just to be a giver, but to be generous. We like people being generous to us. We want to be generous to them and to God. Well, I got this email on Monday night. It's from one of you in one of our campuses, and uh, they were in the service last week. Let me read it to you. Good evening. They were writing this to me on Monday night. Good evening, Pastor Mark. I'm a first-time emailer, but a long-time listener. I like the way he wrote that. I thought your message this weekend was great, but this weekend it spoke to me a little more than usual. We have an amount we usually tithe each week, but we were a little behind So after the service, I went online to make up for the weeks that I'd missed. When typing in the amount, I thought about the message you gave. And I felt that I needed to give a little more. Monday night when I got home from work, that was on Sunday he did this. Monday night when I got home from work, this was just last week, I had a large envelope in the mail from a company I had worked for 12 years ago. I opened it, and inside the letter it said basically this. When I left the company, there was money that I had that was mine, credited to me, but I had never taken. They wanted to know how I wanted that money distributed, how they could send it to me, and the money that they're going to send me was the exact amount that I tithed extra. Now, some of you are going... Yeah, where'd you get that story, Balmer? No, you you need to understand something. That is a miracle. See, God cares for us. So if I'm generous with God, what is he? Twelve years ago? God's got a great memory. He cares about the smallest thing in your life. I'm not giving you that story to manipulate you. I'm giving you that story to challenge your faith. You see, if we give, God honors that. And you're you're so generous anyway. Don't doubt God. Now, that opens up number three healthy indicator we talked about last week. Here it is. If I'm going to be healthy spiritually, I can't just talk about doing God's work. I have to actually do it. I can't just talk about obeying. I have to obey. Put love in action. Not just words. Some of you have said all summer, I'm going to join a small group. And we get to January, and you haven't joined a small group. No good. See, good intentions count for how much? Nothing. Nothing. So as you understand, we reap what we sow, more than we sow, and later than we sow. So just look at me. I I want to tell you the application of what you just saw there. This gentleman was in the service. He heard God's word, not Balmer's illustrations. When he went, he went, man, I need to catch up on my ties Because 10% of the Lord, off the top, goes to God, and it comes to the church, so we can function. So he does this. I'm not there, but God's speaking to him. The minute he thinks about the amount, who speaks to him? The sermon speaks to him. The word of God speaks to him. I need to be a little more generous. He didn't just think about it. He did it. That's the key. You see, in our life, if we're going to be healthy, we simply have to obey God. Now, when we do that, good things happen in our life. Right on, you're generous, just keep giving and serving as you've been doing. I'm proud of you. Now, look at verse 19. John continues, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth, that we're a believer. And how we set our hearts or our consciences at rest in his presence, in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts or our conscience, and he knows everything. You say, Pastor Mark, what in the world does that mean? Well, you're going to hear three words this morning. Assurance, clean conscience, and confidence. So here's number four. Write it down, if you would. What John is saying is this. We need to be assured. Assured just seems to mean remove all doubt. We need to have assurance of our eternal salvation. That really comes from a clean conscience. And it also comes because we don't accept condemnation in our life. So, understand this. The theme of 1 John is know that you know that you know. Knowing is assurance. What does John say? This is then how we know that we're Christians. Now, I want everybody to look at me at every campus. I want you to understand me as I say this to you. There's nothing more important in all of life than knowing without a shadow of a doubt that you're a real Christian and that when you die, you will go to heaven. Assurance is absolutely essential. No one wants to wonder when they die where they're going. Now, for sake of argument, this morning I'll call Christianity a religion. It's not really a religion. It's a relationship. But you need to understand this. There is no world religion that can give any assurance to a person that after they die, they'll be in heaven. No world religion except for Christianity. Now, how huge is that? See, when I leave this earth, I already know where I'm going because of the gift of God. I'm praying that for my daughters, my daughter, my son, my grandkids. doesn't matter what else happens in life. There's nothing more important because this is a little blip here eternities forever. So I want to challenge you this morning in that area. You need to be absolutely 100%. You say, well, Pastor Mark, can I? Hello, John just says, here's how we know. You can be assured. Now, as you begin to think about that, this is a lifestyle, and we begin to prove it simply by doing this, by loving God which means then I obey God, and then loving others. If I put that into action, it's right on your bracelet. If I put that into action, that proves that I'm one of his disciples. But the assurance really comes from a clean conscience. One, because we're obeying God's commandments. Now, I want you to think about your conscience. You were born, God put within you a conscience. And I want you to write the definition this morning because we're going to show you how that's affected in the world. Here's the definition. A conscience. It's a moral sense or of right or wrong that affects one's thoughts and behavior. When you were born, God put a conscience within you. He designed you. It's kind of a warning system to help us from making wrong decisions. When God created Adam... He put a conscience in him, and he gave him, he programmed it with one simple fact. Don't touch the tree over there all the rest of yours. So how we live with a conscience, as you're going to see in a moment, is how we're programmed. But even if I'm programmed right, I can disobey my conscience. You all know what that's about. Mama bakes cookies when you were a kid. How many remember that? She makes a nice cake, and she says what? Don't have a bite of that. Don't have a one bite of that sucker at all. It's for the company that's coming. And you were a kid. How many know you got in trouble? Can you Raise your hand. You got in trouble. You still remember? it? not that amazing what we remember? Well, as you begin to think about the what is this conscience? It's like a moral traffic light. It tells us when to stop, when to slow down, when to go. But it's only as good as it's programming. Adam's conscience was perfect because God programmed it with his one command. But what about today? A lot of people say, well, I just live by my conscience. That's a huge danger. Because in our world this morning, I wish it was different, but it's not. In our world this morning, our, our young children all the way to teens and then, of course, right into college. Here's what our world is being, is says, which actually programs a person's conscience. Whatever's right for you is right for you. Do whatever you like. doesn't have to be my right. That's your right. We have people that go so far as to say this. There is no absolute truth. Times have changed. We can just live however we want. Well, that's not new. In the Old Testament, there's a scripture that says this. And man, woman, did that which was right in their own eyes. If my conscience, if I program my conscience with worldly wisdom, it's a useless conscience. So, Pastor Mark, what are you saying? Well, I I want you to write this sentence down because I think it will make very much common sense to you. Notice, a healthy conscience must be programmed by the word of God. A healthy conscience must be programmed by the word of God. Right or wrong must be determined by a standard. The word of God is our standard. It's essential for the conscience if it's going to be properly used, educated, enlightened by the word of God. Notice what David says. Look what David says. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. David says this. I want to know your word because when the alarm sounds, I won't disobey it. I won't disobey it. Now, what's the problem? You see, knowing the word is huge. Having your your conscience know what the word of God says is huge. But it's only half the situation. We have to obey the conscience that's put in us. David says, I've hid your word so I won't sin. Then David goes out on a balcony and he sees Bathsheba bathing Are there any alarms going off for David? Lots of alarms. (laughs) But what did David do? What did he do? And he went against his conscience. Was his conscience programmed wrong? No, it wasn't. Programmed 100% right. But he disobeyed his conscience. Now, when we disobey our conscience, are there any consequences? What we sow. And we know from Scripture, I'll talk about this later, David was one year before he repented. Did it affect him spiritually and physically and emotionally? Yeah. The Bible tells us every area of his life was miserable for a whole year. Why? Because he went against what he learned was right. So that brings us to this principle. God gave us his programming so we would obey obedience, a clean conscience brings joy and peace because that's the way God wants us to live. David understood because later David has to say this, God, restore my joy. I lost it for a year. Now, not only do we have to worry about that, but Satan loves to bring doubt and condemnation and destroy peace in our life. Now, the Bible has lots of names for Satan, Liar! But here's one. The book of Revelation says Satan is called the accuser of Christians. Satan is the enemy of God. He's our enemy. The Bible says that he's in the heavenlies and he's always accusing you. And he's saying to God, this person is no good and this person is good. They say they're a believer and they're no good. This isn't happening. And And he's doing it, the scripture says, day and night. But the Bible tells us another huge principle. That Jesus is our intercession. Intercessor. And he's standing there, and he's just saying to his father, God, don't believe him. He's a liar. Balmer's okay. Don't believe him. He's a liar. Balmer's okay. He loves you, God. Aren't you glad you have an intercessor today? Hallelujah. Now, because of that, Paul wrote something. Remember Paul, before he was Paul, was Saul. And Saul, before he became a Christian, killed many Christians. Well, what would the enemy do to Saul his whole life? Always bring back something of his past that had been forgiven. You see, this morning that's true for all of us. He loves to bring things back. Remember when you didn't? And so Paul writes a fantastic verse. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And I want you to see it this morning. I'm going to read in the Lumen translation. You know that you're not going to be perfect. So the enemy knows this, but he loves to bring condemnation. And we're going to talk this morning the difference between condemnation and conviction. So look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Now, all of us and all of our campuses, I want us to read it. And I'm going to stop you as we get started. So now. So when? Hello? Not, not tomorrow. So, so now. There is... No, zero, nada, nothing. There is no condemnation for those who are members of Calvary Chapel. For those who go to First Baptist. It has nothing to do with that. There is no condemnation, zero, to those who belong to Christ Jesus.
0: Pastor Mark introduced us to spiritually healthy indicator number four in today's message. This is the assurance of our eternal salvation. No one wants to wonder where they're going when they die. But Christians have this promise. This is the difference that Christianity has when compared to other religions of the world. It brings great peace knowing that we're no longer condemned to eternal death because of the work of Jesus on the cross. You'll find all the options to share. Now, the next time you join us here on Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark will continue to teach on spiritually healthy indicator number four. He will warn us about allowing Satan to condemn us because of past sins or present weaknesses we have. He will remind you of something in your past. He's a master of condemning Christians. We must not believe Satan's lies of condemnation. We must believe that God will convict us because He wants us to be closer to Him. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living and together, let's do life right.
1: Our eyes have seen and our have heard His Word made flesh in a hurting world A new hope He is giving Lord, let us hear Your lessons for living Lord, let us hear Your lessons for living